Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. My administration will always protect reproductive freedom for all Arizonans. I will not support and I will use every power of the governor's office to stop any legislation or action that attacks, strips, or delays the liberty or inherent right of any individual to decide what's best for themselves or their families. You know, thinking about it, I, I, I think it was really more of a speech that you would expect to hear at a DNC rally than, uh, than the state of the state. And uh, it was more consistent with, I think, what you would expect on a campaign. I have never been in the last four years during my time in the state house uh, part of a state of the state address where members of the opposing party of the governor uh, literally turn their backs during a speech where they uh, walk out during parts of a speech of policy disagreements. We're committed to finding lasting solutions to this crisis. We can secure the border, treat migrants humanely, and strengthen our border communities and economies. We just got to put the partisanship aside, listen to local communities, and work together to do it. Two-thirds of our students are not proficient in math. Sixty percent are not proficient in reading. Imagine what that means for their future and our future if two-thirds are not proficient in math and sixty percent are not proficient in, in reading. And with me to talk about Governor Hobbs' State of the State address and lawmakers' reaction to it, Maricopa County bringing in a former state Supreme Court justice to look into Election Day printer problems and more, our former gubernatorial candidate, Christine Jones. Hi, Christine. Good morning. And Democratic strategist, Tony Connie. Hey, Tony. Hello. So, Christine, let me uh, get your take generally on Katie Hobbs' State of the State speech. We heard from House Speaker Ben Toma there that to him it sounded like something you would hear at the Democratic National Committee. What did, what did it sound like to you? Yeah, I don't disagree with Mr. Toma. I thought looking at the the speaker and the president behind her, they were not really buying it. And I guess part of that is theater. But I did think the the speech lacked substance, right? We really just heard three issues and it lasted for a long time to talk about just three issues. But she was a cheerleader and, you know, she said she said what she said she was going to say. So I guess in that sense, she was honest and had integrity. But I didn't really get a lot of grit out of it. And I don't really know what we're going to do to find all the money that she promised to spend as a result of the programs that she announced. Did it seem to you less substantive than previous states of the state? Because typically the state of the state is like, here's what I want to do. And then later today, the governor will unveil her budget proposal where you get sort of the the meat of the, you know, how she's going to spend, you know, pay for some of those things. But did this seem less substantive to you than previous ones? It's a fair question. I mean, the first state of the state address by any governor is probably marginal at best, right? It's They're nervous and their teleprompter and all of those things that make speeches challenging. I do think that Ducey had a lot of substance in his later speeches. We'd have to go back to 2014 yeah. and remind ourselves what that very first one looked like. But I thought limiting it to three points is probably not bad from a speech-giving standpoint, and today's budget will tell us. But when you're just talking about spend, 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 and you don't give any relief to the how, here's how I'm going to do it, it sure makes the Republicans sitting in the room very nervous. Tony, what did you hear from the governor on Monday? The most important thing in her speech was when she said, listen, if you want to actually tackle the real problems of Arizonans, I'll meet you halfway and we'll work together. You know, of course, at the same time, Republicans are facing the other direction. Some are walking out. But I think that was the most important message because it's true. She's not going to be able to get anything done unless they're able to meet in the middle. And she was very clear about that. 
And then she said, hey, look, here are some places where I'm not going to move. So don't even bother coming to me with it. I'm not going to, you know, do anything that takes away rights for women or abortion rights. Leave your conspiracy theories. Uh, you know, don't come to me with those. But anything else, water, these other major issues, come to me. And I think the, the final thing is like really the focus on water in a realistic way, being honest about it, not talking about some big desalinization plan that would cost billions of dollars and is decades away. That was the first time that we've heard that in a State of the State speech in a really, really long time. And so I thought it was a good speech. It's interesting, Tony, what you said about the governor. And she reiterated kind of what she had said during the inauguration about, you know, if you have good ideas, let's let's talk about them. We can compromise. But if you have conspiracy theories, if you want to divide Arizonans, you know, that's I think she said that's not going to get you anywhere. Mm -hmm. But it's it's interesting because there are so many issues that the state is dealing with. And, you know, we heard from Republican leadership last week saying, look, we know that we're going to have to send her bills that she's going to have to veto, but we still have to send them to her. So it's interesting. There's going to be seemingly a little bit of maybe theatrics in, I know it's shocking, right? Theatrics in the legislature to send her bills, but maybe that's just sort of a, a front for some of the other stuff they're going to end up doing together? Yeah, I, well, I think so. There's going to be a lot of theater, but also it does show priorities when you look at what theatrics they decided to focus on. And so the very first thing that happened after her State of the State speech was the Freedom Caucus went outside, and these are the, the far-right Republican sort of MAGA types, and they did a press conference where they were complaining about the fact that she issued an executive order that very simply said the state's not going to discriminate in their hiring on, you know, uh, for, you know, LGBT issues for gay people. And so, like, that was the issue that they decided to focus on and take a stand. And I thought that was a mistake politically because the Arizona Arizonans don't they're not on board with that. They don't think it's okay for anybody to fire someone just because they're gay. And so I do think that when it comes down to it, um, there's going to be a lot of this back and forth. And then the public is going to be making up their mind, those who are paying attention about who has the stronger priorities. And then that political capital is going to turn into a battle and we'll see where they can work together. The, the one thing I thought was missing from the executive order, if you are Katie Hobbs and you are the person who's been twice found responsible for discrimination, add the we're not going to fire you because you're a racial minority to that executive order. It was in, that it, was, it, that was, was so easy. And, and, and it was just, so, I, I don't know, we don't need to belabor this point, but it was so easy for the Freedom Caucus to go out there and make a big stink about this. And also bring up the fact that, oh, you're a racist, Katie Hobbs. It was, I, I thought that was a, a, a little bit of a mistake. Well, so Tony brought up the, that how the Freedom Caucus in Arizona. It seems as though there are certainly members of the Republican Caucus in Arizona who are probably less likely to work with Katie Hobbs on most issues. I guess the question is, are there enough Republicans who will work on, with her on some number of issues, Presuming that the Democrats will go on, will be on board with most of, if not all of what she wants to do, are there enough Republicans, and you don't need a ton, to really get stuff done? Yeah, I mean, if you took like a Matt Grass or a TJ Shope or some of the people who have some issues like water or, you know, the things that aren't particularly partisan, she probably can get a couple of them to cross over. You know, our new Paul Boyer, for example, right. who, who that person is going to be. But those are only going to be issues that are nonpartisan issues and go to the future of the, the stability and safety of the state, right? They're not crossing over on anything that's that's partisan or personal to them. So what to you would those kinds of issues be? For sure, water, maybe education. And, you know, there may be some funding issues there where a TJ Shope or a Matt Gress would be willing to compromise 
but certainly not on abortion, certainly not on any of the social issues where they've taken a stand and they got elected and, oh, by the way, raised money against those issues, right, the border. I, I don't think they you see compromise there. Tony, what do you think? Are there enough Republicans who will work with Democrats to to get 31 votes in the House and 16 in the Senate and to send something to Governor Hobbs that she will sign? I think that there are, but there are less than there were in previous uh, legislatures. And so there is a there's not a huge margin of sort of error on this. And so it, it's going to be a challenge. But that's that's the thing. There are issues that are super important to the state that should be nonpartisan. And that's what we need to see. And I do think that that's why there's going to be such a big emphasis on water, because that's a thing that rural, urban, right, north, south, we all have to be finding solutions on this. And so, you know, now it's a time to see if they're, you know, what leaders step up. Christine, let me ask you about water, because one of the things that Governor Hobbs mentioned was more regulation, for example, of groundwater, which we know is something that at least one Republican committee chair in the past has said no thank you to. Um, Do you think that water is one of those issues where there could actually be substantive progress made on an issue that affects all of us and is getting a little bit more dire every day, it seems. Well, let's hope. I spent an enormous amount of time myself personally becoming an expert on water in Arizona. And even eight years ago when I ran, it was an issue. So I hope that we can now come get all the stakeholders to the table. And that's been one mistake. You know, you have to have tribal leaders. You have to have Mm -hmm. intellectuals. You have to have the university president. You have to have all of the people who have an interest. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the real estate developers. Agriculture. Agriculture, for sure. The developers who have been making a distinction between paper water and wet water for 100 years. But if we could say, I'm going to get in a room and I'm going to close the door and I'm going to have all of the leaders of all of these groups together and we are going to come to a solution before we let people out of the room, I think all of those people would be willing to talk. And, you know, we could do what the Barry Goldwater and Carl Haydens of the the past did and say, in 2023, we are going to say what is going to benefit 2033 and 2053 and 100 years from now. And so I, I'm cautiously optimistic that that is a, a big stake that we could we could make progress on. Tony, do you share that optimism? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> OK. <laughs> I wasn't very convinced. <laughs> <laughs> so, Christine, I've got to ask you about the reaction of Republican lawmakers in the chamber on Monday. A number of them got up and walked out. A couple of Republican senators stood and turned their backs to the governor during her speech. What what do you think about that? I just think it's theater and low class and it shouldn't have any place in in our in our institution. If you don't want to come listen to the speech, that's perfectly well your prerogative. Don't walk in the door. But the the turning the back and the walking out just it just demonstrates how difficult you are to work with. And in a body that's that's collective and collaborative, you have to make friends with people. And that was not a way to make friends. And I did hear Ben Thomas say that's the first time he's ever seen that. But if I remember properly, we had some Republicans do that to Ducey in one of his state of the state addresses a number of years ago. And to ago. Governor Brewer, too. And to Governor Brewer. That's right. And it's like, come, enough. You know, stop it. Shake hands with each other. You know, play nice in the, in the playground. You've been learning how to do this since kindergarten. This is not the way to proceed. It's interesting, Tony, what, what Christine said. Like, if you don't if you don't want to listen to the speech, I mean, you can watch it in your office or you can just ignore it altogether. You don't have to show up. 
Does that, in a chamber that, two chambers that are so closely divided, a one-vote majority for Republicans, does that in some way maybe marginalize or push to the side the members who who took those actions because they maybe are shown to be not really serious at compromise if they can't sit through a 45-minute speech? I think that it does make it very clear who it is that you're not going to be working with. And it's a thing that you can point to if they're like, oh, you need to come and work with us. It's like you didn't even listen to me talk about what my priorities were. And so I, I, I think that Christine is totally right about that. It, it, but, the, you know, the thing is they're not thinking about governing when they're doing that. They're not doing it because they're like, I'm going to build power so I can get things done because I'm taking a stand. It's all about getting attention on right-wing social media and raising money. That's why they are taking these steps. And that's one of the problems that that Freedom Caucus segment of the, uh, uh, you know, of the legislature poses is that most of what's happening is they're playing to you know, an audience that is national or is, yeah. you know, it, it's it's not about solving problems. And they, you know, and, and, and the amount of money that they're able to raise that Wendy Rogers showed in the last couple of years makes it very attractive for them to continue to do this. And it's very difficult for governing and compromise and all that stuff when that happens. Well, and we saw the same thing in the U.S. Congress with the speaker's race and, and some of these guys pounding their chests and voting no, no, no. That was another fundraising play, right? That was a social media play. But I think a word of caution to the Democrats, the other side of the same coin is don't use hyperbole when you're talking about things that are super important to you. You can't stand up in a state of the state address and say 90 percent of people in Arizona believe that abortion should be legal without qualifying the comment and not have some some pushback. Right. Of course, the Republicans are going to fundraise against that. So all of us have to just, you know, kind of take a step back, take a deep breath and say, there are things that we can make progress on. Don't turn your back, but don't use hyperbole. Is that because the poll was 91% that OH put out that said that? It was based on a poll from September, I think, that, that OH put out. With different showed, levels of support. Yeah, 90, right. it, basically, yeah. I guess a better way to say it is that only 9% of Arizonans want to ban abortion. In all cases. Right, in all cases. Yeah. yeah. So, so just qualify it and move on, right? It was, a, it was an easy fix that she didn't make. Is it sort of an inauspicious start and maybe a harbinger of things to come? And as, Christine, as you point out, we've seen this on the national level. We saw Nancy Pelosi rip up President Trump's State of the Union speech very publicly. Uh, A few years back, we saw a congressman yell, you lie to President Obama during one of his uh, States of the Union speech. Like, do those things ultimately matter in the end in terms of the ability of, of lawmakers and the executive to get together? Or is it just kind of theater at the moment? I personally think they matter. And I think if you're in this kind of collaborative body, you should be doing everything you can to find ways to agree on something and yelling out you're a liar and ripping up speeches and turning your back and and voting no just for the purpose of voting no is not helpful. I mean, our Arizona delegation now is going to be substantially weakened because three of our delegates continued to vote against the guy who became the speaker, right? That's not a way to get things done. I hope it's not going to get worse. Mm-hmm. I hope maybe now some adults in the room will say, okay, you had your playground date, time to get serious, and let's stop the fighting. 
My guests this week are Democratic strategist Tony Connie and former gubernatorial candidate Christine Jones. Christine, uh, late last week, uh, Maricopa County announced that it was going to bring in former state Supreme Court Justice Ruth McGregor to look into what happened on Election Day with uh, serious printer problems at a number of voting centers. Uh, we were talking before uh, we came on air and you, you were saying she's like, this is the right thing for her to be doing. She's the right person for this job. Why is that? Well, first of all, she's very experienced and she has multiple levels of court experience. She has handled some of these cases, both at the appellate level and at the Supreme Court level. She's generally well-respected, right? A retired Supreme Court justice. Uh, and and so all of those things are good. The other thing is Maricopa County saying, you know what, we have some egg on our face. That was a that was a Clint Hickman reference. Uh, and, <laughs> oh, well no. done. And, and, and saying, you know what? We want to know what went wrong. We want to know why the printers didn't work. We want to know why the ballot sizes were wrong. And we want to do better in the future. I think all of those are good things. And Ruth is such a – or Justice McGregor is such a, a – like a nonpartisan, non – side taker that I think in the end, whatever she comes up with, they can just take those findings and and fix them. Tony, is there any way you think that this investigation can happen, the results can come out and it not be entirely politicized? No, but I do think I, I think that it's going to be politicized. But the real question is, I think that they're operating in good faith sure. and that that whatever the counties, the county, yeah, okay. I think whatever findings that come out, they are going to pursue changes. You know, I think that they're going to try and fix the problems that were experienced because, you know, I, I because the problems were significant. You know, like I am anytime there are longer lines because of any reason, it does make it more difficult for people to vote. And I think that we all agree we want people to be able to have a, a, a good experience when they go and exercise their right to vote. I think that there will still I mean, if you look, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the Republican nominee for uh, attorney general used the statement that they were going to do investigate on social media, he tried to use it as proof that there was fraud, right? Like, so there's going to be some bad faith. It's going to happen. But really, most of the people who are going to be on the outside, you know, throwing those bombs, they're not really decision makers in yeah, this. Yeah. And so I do think that, you know, moving forward, it's it, I think it's going to lead to some positive changes. Well, it sounds like both of you think that it's important to figure out what yeah. happened so that it doesn't happen again, right? I would say that in every election. If something goes wrong, there's always an improvement to make. This happened in the race that I had that Maricopa County looked at bad signatures and precinct voting and overvotes and, you know, provisional ballots. And, and they made changes as a result mm -hmm. of that. And that's better now, right? And mm -hmm. I suppose some good changes will come out of this, maybe a process to t test printers closer to the day of the election or whatever that thing becomes. All of those things are good and healthy. We should all do that in our day-to-day -day life. So I'm curious, uh, Christine, what you make of – and I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I want to ask about the Court of Appeals expediting the lawsuit from Carrie Lake, the Republican gubernatorial nominee. Um, speaking of potentially politicizing an issue like this, she has certainly done that. Um, significant in any way that this, the Court of Appeals is going to take this on a little sooner than it would otherwise? No, and the, from a lawyer's standpoint, the way – I 
I kind of took that decision. They did not set a a hearing date. They didn't set an oral argument date. And if they're really expediting, they're going to say, appear for argument on XYZ date at XYZ time. And they didn't set an argument. So I think you have – there's a balance there to say, yes, we think it's important and we do think it's our job. It's not the Supreme Court's job to take care of this. But I would would maybe back off a little bit of the significance of the expedited – decision. Okay. Good legal opinion there. So, Tony, <laughs> for let's what it's <laughs> worth. <laughs> it's worth a lot. Tony, I want to ask you about a group of senators who are on the uh, U.S.-Mexico border this week, among them uh, Arizona Senators Kirsten Sinema and Mark Kelly. As a Senator Sinema described it, a, a tripartisan delegation because it had Republicans, Democrats, and her as an independent. Um, this is one of those issues. We talked earlier about issues where Republicans and Democrats can really get together to you know, maybe make some pragmatic changes. Do you think on the national level that at this point, immigration is one of those issues that would fit into that category? I think the problem is the people who run the House, the Republicans in charge of the House are not going to be open to really any sort of comprehensive immigration reform. I think that's the problem. So like when it comes to the senator being able to bring people together in the Senate, I think that's great. But there is that huge obstacle to progress in the House that you know I'm wondering how is it she is going to be able to to try and pull people together. I you know I think that she knows that now as an independent who you know potentially is going to be running for re-election that she needs to get some really big wins and sort of make the case that she's the kind of person who can get things done. Yeah. And when it comes to immigration and the border. Most of what we've seen over the past couple of years has just been theater. You know, I've all, I've joked before that if I really wanted to make money, I could change, become a Republican and just set up a TV studio down there for commercials, you know, have like the brown jacket that they wear, you <laughs> know, like, fence. you know, get all that kind of stuff. And it, because so much of it has been theatrics. And and so, like, it is one of those issues where it's like and, and you know, and I applaud her and then Senator Kelly. It's like, hey, we have to talk about this. We need to go through and we need to do the hard work. And so maybe it's going to take more than two years and maybe the 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 next house will be able to push put this, you know, put something together. But I do think that they we really have to be finding solutions here. Christine, do you think it's possible either within the Senate to get Republicans and Democrats together? And let's say they do that to then get the House and President Biden on board? I don't know if John McCain and John Kyle couldn't do it. I doubt Cinema and Kelly can. But it is important. And, and you know, Congress lately likes to do these comprehensive re- reform bills. They can't balance a budget, right? So they do a continuing resolution. If they would just break this down into bite-sized pieces, they actually might be able to get some incremental bits of progress done. That would be my recommendation. But, I, you know, I'm... I'm not. I'm just feel so pessimistic about it because it's been tried and failed so many times in the past. Right. Well, but it's interesting though because that has sort of been discussed as maybe the more realistic approach, right? Like you deal with border security and you deal with dreamers and you deal with interior enforcement and you deal with asylum, but you deal with them separately. Maybe as part, you know, maybe with some agreements in there to, for, to do one and then the other, but to in, to not do a big comprehensive thing, but to do it sort of piecemeal. That's always been my approach to policymaking, and I think it's the best way to actually get something done and and make some progress. So let's hope they let's hope they agree. Tony, it sounds like you have maybe some optimism, but maybe not in the House. Like, does it matter if the Senate is able to do it even symbolically? I think it matters if they symbolically are able to do something. But I mean, it matters in the sense that, oh, okay, there's some forward progress, right? You feel good. You can hand out some gold stars. And, you know, like that's great. And then you have a, you know, you have a starting point to go forward. And so if we decided not to try and not to talk about issues that politics were going to keep out, you know, that we're going to block out. 
then th- we shouldn't even have legislatures. And so, you know, we they have to be having these conversations. They need to be finding a way to work together. And, you know, let's <laughs> cross our fingers and hope they yeah. can do it. Yeah. All right. Well, gold stars for both of you today. Appreciate <laughs> you being here. That's Thank Democratic you. strategist Tony Connie, Christine Jones, former gubernatorial candidate. Thanks to you both for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.